This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. Welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm your host, Tom Oates, and thank you as always for making the time to join us here on the Information Gateway podcast. This episode focuses on the organizations and nonprofits working to support parents, families, and the agencies that serve them. Specifically, we're going to talk about how to expand those organizations' footprint and make a greater impact across their community, whether it's a city, a county, or an entire state. We're going to hear from an organization working across Virginia, everywhere from local service providers all the way up to the state capitol. But first, we have an announcement that we are uh, really happy to share. The Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. You can subscribe and access all the past and future episodes direct from your mobile device or however you listen to podcasts. We're really excited to, um, I guess speaking of expanding our own footprint, extend our reach and connect so many across child welfare to the information and ideas that we get to share here on the podcast. All right, back to our topic. With a growing emphasis on community-based prevention and collaboration between service providers, agencies, universities, and others, local nonprofits and non-governmental organizations can, can make a difference in a variety of ways, from providing direct services, operating contracts with state and local agencies, advocating and increasing awareness, uh, funding opportunities for research and training. There are so many opportunities for organizations to play a powerful role in prevention and in information sharing and other ways to meet the needs of children and families. But for those organizations and their partners, what are some of the ways to increase the impact, either to a larger geographic area or widen the types of resources and services they provide? Well, Families Forward Virginia is a relatively new organization, just about two years old, but its origins and impacts go back longer. It was created by bringing together smaller prevention and home visiting organizations, leveraging strength in numbers to increase its outreach, its capacity, and its voice across the Commonwealth. Now, their entire network has grown because they've been able to increase what they can offer local communities and approach each relationship with a service mindset asking what communities need rather than walking in with a, a preset solution already in mind. So we spoke with Families Forward Virginia CEO Lisa Spector Dunaway and Hamilton Holloway, Director of Communications, to share the lessons and approaches they've taken so other local organizations can take away some ideas and some tips to expand their reach and impact to the communities they serve. We dive into how Families Forward Virginia came to be, how they work with such diverse communities across the entire state without providing direct service, uh, the key to building an effective partnership, and how to shape public policy. We hope you enjoy the conversation and find it useful to making a difference in your work. Lisa and Hamilton, welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Excited to be here. Thank you very much. So just let's get started here and explain to me how Families Forward Virginia actually became established. Sure. So 
probably as long ago as 15 or 20 years, uh, CHIP of Virginia, which is a maternal child health home visiting model, and Prevent Child Abuse Virginia, which houses Healthy Families America, another home visiting model, um, found it's, the two organizations found themselves working together more and more. And as people um, got a better understanding of home visiting and the various models or brands that existed um, across the country, but also in Virginia, we began working together to try and provide better supports on the state level to our local partners who are actually doing the really tough work of implementing these services with families um, who are pregnant or have young children. And the more we began to work together, the more people said, well, why do we have two different state-level organizations? Which makes perfect sense, especially um, when resources get tight, um, like during the recession. And so as we began to work more and more together, we started having deeper conversations about what the future could look like um, with a more formal partnership. And so about four years ago, our chairman of both of the boards of CHIP of Virginia and Prevent Child Abuse Virginia and the executive director of Prevent Child Abuse Virginia and I um, met and started talking about what it could look like. And shortly thereafter, we established committees made up of members from both of our boards and others in the community, and really began going through the process in terms of understanding what the business of the organizations were, how they were structured, what were their funding resources, those kinds of things, and what was going to be best for the community, best for children and families. And that really was the touch point in all of these discussions is, would this make a stronger organization to support children and families in the Commonwealth? And after about a nine-month due diligence process, um, it became apparent that this was, in fact, the right thing to do. And so the two boards voted um, to come together and officially in on September 1st of 2017, CHIPA Virginia and Prevent Child Abuse Virginia merged and adopted the name Families Forward Virginia. And part of the reason that we wanted to do that was really to um, promote the positive strength-based approach that both of the organizations have. And that really is that we want to help families move forward um, in a way that supports themselves and their children, because we know that parents are their child's first and best teacher, and that while Raising parents is one of the toughest jobs, raising parents, raising children is one of the toughest jobs that you can have. There's no instruction manual. No one teaches us what to do. And we tend to do what we, what happened to us as we were children. And so really having that strength-based families forward approach was um, much more in line with our values. And so when we brought this together, we had a couple of different groups or organizations that were included in this umbrella. And so CHIP of Virginia, which was is a Virginia-based home visiting model that uses parent educators and registered nurses, Healthy Families America, which is a national model, Parents as Teachers, another national model in housed within CHIP, as well as the general child abuse prevention efforts through Prevent Child Abuse Virginia, 
the other player in this, which helped move some of the conversations along, was at that point um, our home visiting consortium, where we had begun working 10 years earlier to figure out how we could best support home visiting in the Commonwealth. And so Early Impact Virginia is our Alliance for Family Support Professionals. And that is the third leg, as you'd say, in the stool um, in terms of the work that our organization does. Um, So we really found very quickly that our funders and our partners were all really, really um, positive about this work and wanted to support it because, again, they knew that there would be more efficiencies, a stronger voice on behalf of children and families, and really able to do a lot more together than we could do by ourselves. So it really was um, an issue where, you know, it was one plus one plus one equals four. Um, And so we see that um, on a daily basis because we've seen our budget grow significantly. We've seen opportunities to deepen our services. We have seen um, partners inviting us to tables where previously um, we weren't quite big enough um, to have the stature and the influence. And now people are recognizing that, yes, this organization has expertise and it has depth and we need to have them as a key player when we're looking at policy and services that are good for families and children in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So you've got this strength in numbers approach to where, like you mentioned, one plus one plus one equals four. So it's a it's a larger voice. It's a, maybe a larger cache of, of resources. But as all of these different groups came together, was there a struggle to turn around and saying, hey, we just can't continue to do what we're currently doing, we just do more. Was there a shift in terms of, okay, what is our mission now? Because it can't just be everybody's mission added together into one long run-on sentence. How did that, you know, over the past two years, how did Families Forward Virginia kind of morph into not a collection of agencies together, but one, you know, one organization working in lockstep with everybody, uh, you know, in tune? Sure. So, I mean, The beauty of this um, merger was the fact that all of the organizations had the same mission and the same core values, that parents be their child's first and best teachers, that families should be supported. and, And we really believed that giving parents what they need to start with and that it is a normal thing. Every parent needs support. It's not anything that has to do, you know, with just your socioeconomic status or where you come from or your age or where you live, but that every single family needs support and we need to make it okay so that people understand it's the strong parents who ask for help. And I frequently tell the story that I had preemie twins and I brought them home and you know, my husband kept asking me what we were supposed to do because I was in the field. And, you know, I was just like every other parent, totally overwhelmed, but very fortunate that I was able to, you know, I had resources, I had family, I didn't have to, you know, worry that I was going to lose my job because I was, you know, visiting, you know, spending time with my children in the NICU. But that's not the situation for all parents. And so, All three organizations really had that same value of how do we strengthen parents and how do we support what they're doing 
so that they can have a strong family and raise children who are ready for school and ready for life. And so it, in many ways, that was very easy. Um, the more challenging part was the culture. Um, organizational cultures are very different. And, you know, it is influenced by history and funding and a variety of things. And so that's where really looking at it's not what we used to do, what you used to do is better or worse. It really is thinking about what's going to be best for the new organization moving forward. And everybody in this in our organizations are incredibly passionate about what they do. And so, you know, that's what we just have to remember is that, you know, when there are conflicts about how we do certain things or how we have to do them because we're larger, um, it really is all about the kids and we all believe the same things for families. So as the, the groups come together and Families Forward Virginia is, is established, not only is it the or internal organization that kind of has to say, all right, here's how we're going to work together. Here's how we here's how we're going to be organized. There's a separate entity of making the rest of the state now aware of who you are and what you do. So Hamilton is here with us. And Hamilton, I want to bring this about in more of an outreach and a communication side of. All right. So when Families uh, Forward Virginia is established, what are the big challenges to then let everyone know from all of the agencies? to the to the state house to to the other community partners how do you then communicate this out that yes we're new but there is also this strength and experience behind you know the the new name yes absolutely you know the 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 big focus is on the continued message of of taking care of our children and and being uh, the role models that they need in their lives, right? Having that there. Uh, and so reinforcing that with both our affiliates, having a bigger voice at the state level and even at, at the national level when we talk to our uh, our senators and, and representatives, um, it's a big difference in conversations that we have with them. Uh, but, the, but the big uh, feel there is how do we uh, continue to say the message, but give people more resources, realizing that coming together, these three organizations coming together are creating uh, richer uh, resources for our affiliates and for um, uh, people in, in child abuse prevention field uh, to use in their day-to-day -day activities that makes it easier for them to do that and quicker for them to do that. So, for instance, we do a lot of training here uh, at, at Families Forward Virginia, and we uh, created some training spaces now that are uh, much easier to use, much more user-friendly for, uh, for people who are leading training classes, as well as people who are attending the, the classes. Uh, externally, uh, we've created uh, for Child Abuse Prevention Month, for instance, uh, we traditionally had a paper packet that was mailed out. Uh, you know, every March, uh, we would mail out this packet, you know, filled with 20 to 30 sh sheets, black and white, because that's cheaper to print. And, uh, you know, it'd get to somebody's desk, uh, who knows where in, in Southwest Virginia, and they might open it up uh, April 1st, or they might not open it up to April 15th. And then they realize it's not for them. They pass it on to somebody else. And here goes April, and we haven't even 
even gotten the information out uh, in the community there. So we created a, a digital toolkit that everyone can access. So anyone in the field, not just the person who gets the packet landed on their desk, but every member of that organization can access this, this packet online. And of course, any member of the community can access it online. And it's very simple, easy to use information that's easily updated uh, in English and Spanish uh, to uh, meet, better meet the needs of, of people we're serving across Virginia. So that's been a big difference where we've been able to offer more resources, easier resources and updated resources uh, for both our affiliates in the field and anyone who wants to learn more about uh, child abuse prevention and the value of home visiting and uh, being your, your child's first and best teacher. You bring up a good communication lesson overall. It's not necessarily about, hey, we're here, we're new, you know, look at us. It's much more when, when you're trying to communicate out, it's what's the value, you know, why you have to realize that those folks on the other end, they've got a question in the back of their mind. It's why do I care? So if you're able to communicate, hey, here's what we're bringing to you. Here is what is new. Here is what is either more or still has an impact to, to, to make a difference for you. You know, communicating that value uh, kind of goes goes a long way. Uh, Hamilton and, and Lisa, you both mentioned affiliates. Can you break that down for me about uh, where what affiliates are uh, spread across Virginia? Sure. And you know, that really is, um, when we think about it, our customer base. We are not here um, to provide direct services to families. We are here to support 50 local organizations that are playing those roles in their communities. And so... Um, we have affiliates who provide CHIP of Virginia services. We have affiliates who provide parents as teachers or healthy families on visiting. Um, we have our community-based affiliates like um, Greater Richmond SCAN, SCAN of Northern Virginia, um, Children's Trust in Roanoke, and the Champions for Children in Southampton Roads as well as NRV CARES in the New River Valley. And those are more community-based organizations that have that broader role of child abuse prevention and promoting strong families. And so those groups make up our 50 affiliates. So with some of them, we are providing um, quality, with all of them, we're providing a level of quality assurance um, with the home visiting programs, we are absolutely providing monitoring in terms of the work they're doing, uh, supporting the evaluation, um, providing a lot of the training and professional development, and building the networks within and across programs. So, you know, in business terms, we're like a franchise model. Um, and, you know, with some of them, you know, with all of them, um, you know, we are partners and we know that it is our job to support them as much as possible because they are doing the really, really tough work with families on the ground. Another um, type of organization we work with, it's a program called Circle of Parents. And a variety of types of organizations can offer those, um, including um, recently they've begun their beginning groups in the prison system. And it really is a parent support group that provides education and support and that is co-led by a parent. Those are the kinds of activities where we are providing more resources and more guidance um, to those local affiliates so that they can do the work on the ground 
and where we can build opportunities for um, kind of more efficiencies or economies of scale because we can provide some of these things to them um, in a much more efficient way and effective way so that they can, again, focus their work on families, um, which is what we're all about. How were you able to work with each affiliate to kind of determine what their needs are, yet also what you can provide in terms of trying to match that service, especially if you've got 50 affiliates, they all have needs. I'm, I'm sure each one of them would love to be the first and only priority you have. How were you able to kind of, you know, you said franchise, but there's a tailored aspect to each of those affiliates. How do you manage that? You know, it's, it was actually, it's much easier than you would think. Um, right after the merger, we went through a strategic planning process. And every single one of those affiliates and all of our other partners um, were invited to the table so we could really get an understanding of what they needed and what they wanted and what the organizations had provided to them prior to the merger that was helpful or not so helpful. And we were able to take all of that information and put it together into our strategic plan. And again, we really saw many, many similarities across the groups. And you know, they asked for things like the most up-to-date information and research. They wanted affordable training and professional development. They needed a louder voice on the state level in terms of policy. They needed folks to help organize larger issues. And that's, you know, where we've begun to make a lot of inroads and, you know, feel like we are meeting their needs. And absolutely, we will always, there will always be things that they want. We can't provide, we can't sponsor all of their local events. We can't, you know, their fundraising necessarily for them. Um, but we try to be clear about the things that we can offer and bring them together and hear from them pretty regularly. What are the things that are challenges for them and how can we continue to support their work? Lisa, in working with all of these various communities and, and the various customers you have, I'm curious, what topics are you finding that in the past year or two that are most on the rise? What are those emerging trends you're hearing from those affiliates? One of the big ones that is getting a lot of press recently is opioid addiction. The addiction and the science behind it, we know that this is a disease. It's not something that people are doing, you know, going out to be criminals. It is a disease that is impacting families. And we've seen a very large increase in the number of children, um, babies who were born substance exposed. Um, almost 2,000 families in Virginia last year um, experienced that. And so trying to figure out how our home visiting programs can work with addiction specialists and other providers to support that family because we don't do that level of treatment. Uh, <clears throat> Trauma-informed care, uh, people talk, are talking a lot about in terms of really helping providers understand it's not about what's wrong with you, but it's really about what happened to you and how do we start there and again, build on your strengths because the strengths are there for everyone. Um, technology and raising children uh, is, you know, many parents' biggest nightmares. Um, certainly, we struggled with that at my house and 
had all kinds of things, you know, with routers turning off at 11 o'clock at night. Um, but it's really difficult to is with those trends. And while technology can be a wonderful tool, um, like most things in excess, it is not healthy at all. Um, that's another one. And it also provides a new platform for bullying. A lot of children really negatively impacted by things that are going on in the relatively anonymous world of the internet where you know, there's not a face um, next to the name that's saying the negative things. Um, and then, you know, I think the thing is when we're talking about home visiting, it really is how are we putting a finer point on what we're doing? Precision home visiting, kind of like the precision medicine. We know what, you know, the long-term research has said that but, you know, how can we meet more specifically the needs of the family in addition to the broader things that we know that um, everybody needs? So I think those are the big things that we're seeing. And I don't know if there's others that um, pop in mind to you. Well, one of the... Yeah, one of the other things that that we've worked at, at on a state level, and this is where, uh, as Families Forward being a stronger voice, uh, we're playing a much bigger role, is in how uh, child protective services uh, workers uh, are compensated, how they're trained. Uh, for instance, here in Virginia, it takes uh, almost two years to go through the full process for a child protective services worker uh, to get fully trained. At the same time, they're on the job an average of eight 18 months before they change their roles, right? So, so many of them are coming into their role, not fully trained, uh, taking on a full caseload. And that puts, you know, tremendous amount of strain on the families that are, that, um, are there that are trying to be, the children that are trying to be protected, the families that need help, and certainly our affiliates who are, are side by side with those families and trying to help them through that. They're having to, to work extra uh, to, to make up for some of those deficiencies that we have. So those are one of the things we're working at the state level uh, to, to try to have find ways to uh, better train CPS workers, for instance, when they before they even get to the job, right? What, what can we do at the at the university and college level uh, in training before they get on the road? How can we have better training throughout their process? process um, and not take two years. Uh, you know, you don't put a, a policeman uh, out in the field, you give him a badge, you know, hire him one day, give him a badge the next day and put him out in the field and say, we'll train you as you go along and hope things turn out okay. But we're doing that with our children in Virginia right now. And we need to, we need to fix that. And so that is one of the things that we're working as a louder voice on. Yeah, we, we expect to spend a fair amount of time during this upcoming General Assembly, really helping legislators understand the importance of fair compensation and filling vacant positions so that, you know, we can make sure that our children are protected because everyone in the child welfare system cares about children and wants to do a good job. And there are systemic barriers um, that are keeping them from doing that. And so that we see that as one of our very important public policy discussions that um, we are having with elected officials right now and through the upcoming general um, assembly session. And it will be going on for years because we have a um, drastically underfunded child welfare system. And you know, we owe it to children and families to protect them and provide them the support that they need. 
You know, you talked about uh, having um, a voice in front of legislation, and I and I and I want to talk about that. And so, a kind of mental reminder to me. But you guys had just mentioned, you know, about providing training or providing the right resources or all this array of services that you're, you know, providing to your affiliates. For other organizations that are out there throughout the country that are trying to have an impact throughout their community or their state, like you mentioned, you aren't doing direct service, but you're working with those folks who do. So talk to me about the type of partners you work with and are looking for when you're developing those types of resources and training. I think that doing things with partners is pretty much the only way to get things done on the big scale. And so, you know, One of the things, you know, we obviously will look for organizations that have similar values and similar missions, but we don't limit ourselves to that because that's, you know, where in some ways the secret sauce is when you can have, you know, different voices at the table. So we try and work with the Chamber of Commerces and various business communities because if we can help families be more stable, they have better employees, And if children aren't sick as frequently, if parents have a better understanding of their roles, then they are better employees. Um, So working with the corporate community has been, you know, a strategy that we have embraced and they have been very supportive of our work because they get it. They understand, you know, not just their bottom line, but also, you know, as parents themselves um, and individuals who care about their communities. Uh, We found universities are wonderful partners. One of the um, amazing things we've been able to do um, on the national level is um, through a federal innovation grant, we are working with um, the Iowa Department of Public Health and Kansas State um, University, and we have developed the Institute for Family Support Professionals. It is... um, professional development available for free for anyone who is working in human services or even parents. Um, We have more than 60 modules that are web-based and have people in every state and other countries who are taking these courses um, on their own time at night, during the day, you know, whenever is convenient for them. And because of the partnership with the universities, they're, they're really fun. Um, in a sense, ways to increase the depth of your learning. So with some of them, it's like a choose, choose your own adventure. So when you're you're in a family's home and you see this, do you take this path or do you make a decision and do the other thing? And then how does it play out? So those are really, you know, great opportunities that we've had to work with other people who have other areas of expertise um, to broaden what can be provided to the community. So you know, that's something, again, available at no cost um, to our partners. I think when we, you know, continue, we look at public sector partners as well as private sector. Um, again, in when you work in state or local government, you have opportunities and access to information, but you may not have a voice when it comes to public policy or talking to legislators. And so in many ways, we are that voice for them. And we can, you know, as a um, non-governmental agency, talk to legislators about what we see and help them ask the right questions. And so again, that really is playing to the strengths um, of the various partners. 
So how are you getting your foot in the door? And I, you know, it's, it's almost like connections is one of the biggest assets to, to some success for families for Virginia. This establishing those connections and kind of turning the light bulb on for those other be it agencies or corporations to say, hey, here's, here's how you can help. Uh, how are you engaging these these entities to form these partnerships? Now, just like the work that's done with families, it's all about relationships. And it's all about going in um, and being open um, about what you can do and what you can't do, what you know, what you don't know, and following um, following up on what you say you're going to do and really trying to show partners where this can be mutually beneficial. Um, to all of us. And when we say we come to the table with um, 50 affiliates, you know, that does get people's attention because we have, you know, coverage and relationships across the entire Commonwealth. And so as we begin to work with people um, or continue to work with people, because all of the organizations individually had lots of these relationships. And so as we are able to deepen them and they see the advantages, you know, it's really not a hard sell at all because we want the same thing for kids. And, you know, we realize that we bring different things to the table. Yeah. And, and Tom, I think the other um, uh, part of that is that we're really working to change social norms here, right? So the conversations that we have, whether it's with uh, one of our partner uh, nonprofit agencies or it's a corporation, it's not about um, saying, oh, we're just talking about human service issues or things like that. So we're talking about how do we, how do we change how we talk about child abuse prevention? How do we change how we talk about taking care of our families, right? Uh, how do we raise a child? Uh, it's not, uh, as Lisa said earlier, you know, it, it's the, it's the healthy parent. It's the smart parent who asks for help. It's not, um, that parent over there. It's every parent who has a child needs help. Right. And child abuse can happen in any environment. Right. And so to try to compartmentalize who we talk to about that or where we talk about it doesn't do us or anyone any any good. Right. We have to have those conversations and change the way we talk to people about uh, why this is important and and how we talk about things out in the open and not have have our work be hidden in the background anymore. You know, and you brought up something, you know, you know, communication, relationship, having those open and honest conversations. As many other organizations throughout the country may may nod their head with all of this and, and getting some insight of, hey, here's how I can kind of, you know, expand those partnerships and th those agreements and try to, you know, improve the impact that you're able to have. Uh, walking up the steps on a state capital and having that kind of impact What's the guidance you would give to other organizations to try to do that either within their county or within their state to kind of, you know, that can seem pretty daunting to try to really change policy versus, hey, I can go to an agency and I can provide some training, which hopefully has an impact, but to really go at that level. What's the guidance you would give to another organization on trying to start to be able to influence public policy? You know, the, the most important... The most important place to start is not at the state house. It is in your community at home. It is showing elected officials who are your neighbors. You know, they are there because they want to improve things. And so it really is talking with them on a regular basis about what's important to you and why. 
And again, it's those relationships. When you have those, you can call them when they're at the state house and you can go and talk to them in the meetings during session. Um, but those those are very crazy times. They're, they have a lot of things that are, especially in Virginia, where we do not have a full-time legislature, you've got to get a lot done in a very short amount of time. So doing that work, building the relationships prior to session. Um, but then again, just sharing accurate information and being open and not assuming that someone who has a different belief is bad or wrong. They just have a different perspective. And you really have to work to try and find that common ground. And as Lisa said, that, that common ground comes with a couple of things. One, uh, asking that legislator uh, to go to a, a site visit, to a local visit, right? Whether it's visiting with a family who's having a home visit or going to a child advocacy center and seeing what it's really like and how many children are interviewed there on a weekly basis is eye-opening. Uh, to, to legislators because they can see numbers on the paper and we can put numbers on the paper all day. But until they get in the community with you and can sh and we can show them uh, standing side by side with them, he here's the family in your community and here's what they're struggling with. And then we can turn around and talk about here's how these programs and activities that we do help them have a better start to life, help them uh, take care of their families themselves, help the child to develop, uh, to be strong and, and want to learn and want to grow and not have to have services after services after services later in life because we didn't take care of them when we should have. That makes a world of difference in those conversations when it comes to, okay, what will we now approve or not approve? So you've been able to, you know, there's there's the impact at various levels, right? And I appreciate you guys going in depth to say, hey, it's not like knocking up on the governor's door first. Start to, start to talk about your neighbors and start to also work with your neighbors in terms of service providers or, you know, community collaboration and trying to find where you can fit and, and offering that value that, that Hamilton spoke to earlier of like, it's not what I have, it's what... I, what do what you need and being able to meet that need for folks. So I want to flip this around a little bit and now talk about those state agencies, those county agencies who can then benefit from being, let's say, an affiliate like or working with their local partnerships to find organizations like yours. What would you tell those service providers and those social workers on, on how to find and, and utilize community based organizations like yours? You know, I think that especially with our home visitors, um, they are really, really good at finding partners um, and they make themselves available and make themselves known um, in public agencies. But again, I think developing those relationships before you're asking for something or asking someone to do something, you know, but also, you know, going in the door and saying, here's who we are. Here's what we can provide. What do you need? Um, and really asking, you know, the public agencies and others, what do you need? And so, and when public agencies are there thinking about what they can't do, you know, again, how do they talk with folks? People have resource fairs, you know, you, you hear from clients who the folks are who can help you, um, who are the, the good agencies where you can get the things that you need. Um, and it really is about going in with an open mind and trying to, again, 
establish that common ground in terms of what we can do for families and what is it that, you know, you need or we need, again, so that we can help support children and families in this work. Yeah, and um, as as Lisa was talking, you really, it, it does have to um, happen on a local basis, uh, community to community. Here in Virginia, uh, we're somewhat unique in that though we have a state uh, Department of Social Services, each community has their own Department of Social Services that though operates off of guidelines from the state, operates independently within their county or their city or their town. And so it's not like we can say, okay, uh, State Department of Social Services, here's this great program we're working on. Share it with everyone and, and it'll, everything will be great. Uh, it, it really is coming down to, um, you know, boots on the ground in each community and sharing those resources. Here's the value that we add for you and for your organization. Uh, and here's how we do it. And so, for instance, we convene a uh, 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 annual conference uh, for uh, human service workers uh, throughout the state to help show th- share this information uh, and to work with them and provide training and resources to them that they wouldn't normally have in their community. Uh, and it creates deeper relationships there. Uh, so things like that are what makes all the difference in the world. Lisa and Hamilton, I really appreciate you guys sharing the experience and, and the guidance on what community-based organizations, what or, what organizations that are working to kind of help fill those gaps, how you can expand your footprint and how you can find those partnerships that make the difference, but all starts from relationships. It all really starts from, from, from being good neighbors. Um, Lisa Spector Dunaway, Hamilton Holloway, I really appreciate your time. And thank you guys so much for being part of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Our pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. It's been great. You can find Family Forward Virginia's website and the tools that Hamilton discussed, such as the Digital Prevention Toolkit, on the webpage for this podcast. You can find it at acf.hhs.gov cb. Just search podcasts. We'll also point you to a series of other resources for community organizations to help connect with others in their community. And we'll also have a link to the Child Abuse and Neglect Prevention Resource Guide. Lots of information and tools specific for community organizations. Now, for other examples of community-based collaboration, uh, we'll also uh, put in some links to previous episodes of the Information Gateway podcast that featured the work of community-based child abuse prevention, those CBCAP grantees, sharing how they've established partnerships with others in their backyard and other local agencies. Of course, you can find the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast over on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So you can go back and listen to all the previous episodes and subscribe to receive each new episode every month. Now, if you're looking for other information, hey, check out Child Welfare Information Gateway at childwelfare.gov. It's the national clearinghouse of vetted, peer-reviewed information resources to help service delivery, support training, uh, tools and, and resources to inform families and others. You can access data and contact information all right there on Child Welfare Information Gateway. If you have a particular need for information, you can reach out to our team. Go on the website and check out the live chat, or you can reach them at info at childwelfare.gov, and they can help point you in the right direction. 
So my thanks to Lisa Spector Dunaway and Hamilton Holloway with Families Forward Virginia for their time and energy. And as always, thanks to you for being part of this community and listening to the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.